Um, this morning we are going to finish up Acts chapter 22 and we're going to cover the first nine verses of chapter 23. So Acts, we're going to start in 22, verse 22 and go all the way to 23, uh, verse 9. Dr. Spruill titled this lesson, A House Divided. And if you've read ahead, you'll know why. uh, Chapter 22, verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Then the centurion heard that. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you command me to be struck contrary to the law. And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there was no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled into pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our day. Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. Uh, We are reminded uh, that this is a a wonderful time of the day. We can study your word, uh, Father, as we prepare our hearts for worship. And we just pray that you'll be here with us this morning, guiding us in all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we know, and y'all know this because you've all been in this study, Paul's been back and forth. Uh, He's been back and forth between the Jews and the Romans and then the Jews and then the Romans again, and he's back and forth. And um, he's here in Jerusalem. He's just given his uh, defense about his conversion on the road to Damascus. 
how Christ Himself appeared to him. Uh, and then he was his, uh, and confirmed his call as an apostle. It was confirmed um, in Damascus. And now, uh, and how, and of course, then Paul told him how the Lord Himself has sent me to the Gentiles. Um, this, this defense of his call, his ministry, well, it was supposed to, or he, he thought anyway, I mean, it was designed to calm down the crowd. Uh, but when he get to the point of the Gentiles, when he got there, okay, when, when he mentions the Gentiles, about God sending him to the Gentiles, their response was this. We find it in verse 22. It says, And they listened to him until that word. And, after, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Now, we talked about this last week. Uh, we talked about... Um, the Jews considered this blasphemy. Okay, this coming the the, the gospel going forth into uh, the Gentiles and having them come into the church, and so they were done. They'd heard all they wanted to hear. Away from him, he's not fit to live. Now, the Roman commander has been observing these proceedings or this mob or whatever you want to call it, and he's really puzzled. He's curious as to all the hostility. Um, verse uh, twenty three and twenty four says then. As they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so they might know why they shouted so against him. And of course, they, it says they, Luke says they cried out, they tore off their clothes, and they threw dust in the air. Okay, just a common way of showing their disgust. Okay, just uh, vis- uh, visible manifestations, you know, tearing clothes, throwing dust in the air. Um, and so the commander brings him in. Now the commander doesn't want to just question Paul here at this point. He's, he's already had some questions with, with Paul already. He still doesn't have any answers. But now he really wants to get to the bottom of this because this is not getting any better. And the commander, okay, we need to bring this to some sort of resolution. We need to figure out what's really happening here. Now, as we know, in the 20 years of Paul's ministry, he's taken beatings. He's been stoned. Uh, he's even been imprisoned. But this is the first time that he would be up against or face a possibility of facing a Roman scourging. Now, if you remember, we talked about the Roman scourging when we talked about, uh, because we know Jesus was scourged. Uh, the Romans used uh, this, this whip with leather thongs attached to the end of it. At the end, embedded in those, those leather straps were sharp pieces of metal. Okay, it was uh, they they were scourged most times across the back uh, as the whips as as the the prisoner or the captive was whipped the the straps would wrap around the body. Okay, and when when it was pulled back off, it would just tear flesh. Okay, these sharp pieces of metal just they would just rip open flesh. Okay, it was a brutal brutal thing to experience. Um, Many times. people who were scourged didn't even live through the process. The scourging itself would kill them many times. If it didn't kill them, then they had scars for the rest of their lives. I mean, they always bore the stripes of the scourging. Well, the commander was planning to use scourging as a way to get to the bottom of this. Basically, I'm going I'm to beat you to death unless you tell me what's going on. Okay, that's kind of the threat of it. Sometimes even the threat of scourging... Okay, I, I, I confess. This is what's really going on. Uh, but Paul has nothing to confess. He's been truthful and honest, and so he's about to take a whipping for it. 
So as they were preparing to scourge Paul, it says in verses, uh, Luke tells us in verse 25 through 28, he says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Of course, we know uh, in today's world when it comes to citizenship, uh, if you were born in America, if you're born here, then you're automatically a citizen. A lot of countries are the same way when it comes to citizenship. Wherever you're born, you're automatically granted citizenship. But that was not the case with Rome and in this time. Okay? Uh, to be a Roman citizen was to be among the elite of this time. It was to be among, or considered to be among the elite. Uh, it was a high privilege. It was reserved mostly for the upper class. Now, there were two ways to earn your Roman citizenship. Uh, one, one way was one could, um, could achieve a high level of service to the empire could do something great for the empire, and then they could have citizenship bestowed upon them, uh, from the emperor. Or uh, the other way is that one could purchase it with a large sum of money. You could buy citizenship into Rome. Now, Paul tells us he was born a citizen. So, okay, that means he didn't pay a lot of money and he didn't do a high level of service. So how did he get a, become a citizen? Well, it means that since he was born a citizen, that either his father or his grandfather was a citizen. And he had gained uh, citizenship by one of those two ways. Now, we can't be really sure which way uh, Paul's father or grandfather gained his citizenship. Uh, but uh, Sproul mentioned, and others kind of agree, that it's, it's uh, kind of, it's most likely, we, and we're just kind of assuming here, or deducing about what we find in Scripture, that his father or grandfather was extremely wealthy. And so more than likely, he's, his, they probably, uh, his father or grandfather probably purchased his Citizenship. Now, the reason why do we think um, Paul's family was wealthy? Well, remember his upbringing. Okay, remember his upbringing. Paul was was brought into Jerusalem at an early age and to study under Gamaliel. So um, that no, not just an ordinary person could do that. You had to be of wealth to be able to afford to do that. So that's just kind of the uh, assumption we make about what we uh, have in Scripture. Now. We're not really sure uh, when the practice of purchasing citizenship began. Um, what we do know is that Emperor Claudius, um, at some point in his reign, felt the need to uh, fill the coffers. He was running low on cash, basically, right? And so he sold citizenships uh, to wealthy people uh, and whoever could gather up the money just to, to fill the coffers. Um, now, in today's passage here, we learn how the commander obtained his. He says he bought his. Okay, the commander here, he says, I bought mine. It came at a very high price. Um, and as we'll learn later, the commander here, his name is Claudius. Um, so it's perhaps uh, perhaps the commander here um, bought his citizenship dur- uh, during the reign of Claudius. A lot of times, if, if in, in a way, somebody would... Uh, if, they, if they wanted to show their gratitude for an emperor, they would take the name after the emperor, right? They would, they would choose the same name as a way to honoring them. So maybe this commander 
possible that uh, to show his gratitude for gaining his citizenship this way, that he took the name Claudius just to honor uh, the emperor. Whatever the case, okay, whatever the circumstances, we don't know 100%. We can kind of speculate here. But what we do know is whatever the case, this man, Claudius, the commander, was impressed, first of all, that Paul was a citizen. He was impressed. Now, why was he impressed? Well, there's two things at stake here. Okay, two, two issues here. If, if someone punished a Roman citizen without due process, they, um, they would be subject to the death penalty. So by, by doing what he's done, okay, it's, it's the commander's feeling, oh no, I might be in some big trouble because I've, now I've laid and I've bound, I've laid hands on a Roman citizen and he knows he hasn't had a trial yet. There's been no due process. Um, so if Claudius knows that he has, uh, if he had scourged Paul without a trial, then he would have been executed. Okay, so commanders, okay, I, I, we, we got to stop here. We got to slow down. Uh, second, the other side of the coin is if a prisoner falsely claimed citizenship, then that person would be subject to death. So there's two kind of two things happening. You know, of course we know Paul's a citizen already, but this that's the, from the commander's point of view, that's his that's what he's looking at. Okay, I'm about I could be killed for this. Uh, if he's lying, uh, then then he could be killed for this. Now Luke uh, doesn't mention it, doesn't give us details. It, we can also kind of uh, deduce that Paul probably provided some sort of proof for his citizenship. Luke doesn't tell us what the detail. He doesn't give us that. Uh, but Paul probably would have been asked to, okay, prove it. Because then, you know, just anybody, I'm a Roman citizen. You know, you can just get out of trouble. But, but he, um, either through uh, witnesses or other people that could vouch for him, he proved his citizenship. Again, Luke doesn't tell us how uh, Paul did that. Well, the citizenship, as we've talked about, this, this um, the way, now that this is a part of the equation, now that Paul's mentioned this, it really shows all of us how highly prized the Roman citizenship was. Okay, it was, it was highly prized. It was no small thing to be a Roman citizen. In verse 29 it says, Then immediately those who were about to examine him, or scourge him basically, right, they withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid, for he found out that he was a Roman, and because that he had bound him. Now, the commander has not scourged him yet, thankful. He, I think he's probably, the commander's thankful that he hadn't done that yet. Uh, but he had bound him. Okay, even that, even binding a Roman citizen without cause is punishable. He could really, he could get in a lot of trouble just for doing that. So he's nervous at this point. You know, I might even get in trouble for, for laying hands on this guy. Uh, so he loosened him, and uh, he is, his plan was to bring him back before the Jewish council. And so again, we see Paul, he gets to address the council again. And we see this in the first verse of uh, chapter 23. So chapter 23, verse 1, says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now we're going to look at that verse a little bit closer. First, we see we see another greeting of gentleness and respect. Right? Paul says, "Men and brethren." Again, this is the same crew that's it's an angry mob wanting him dead. Right? He again addresses them with respect. Um, but let's look at his. He, he makes this opening statement about living in a good conscience before God until this day. 
Let's look at that a little bit closer. Now, what are the things we know about Paul and his life? Okay, he's done some bad things, right? Uh, he, in, in, in the part of this discourse, we learned, of course, it, it was confirmed that was it not Paul who was standing by, consenting at the stoning of Stephen? Paul was there holding the coats of those who stoned him, right? Isn't Paul the one who has been traveling from house to house, uh, dragging out Christians, members of the way, uh, persecuting them, putting them in prison, uh, even seeking to kill them? Isn't that the same guy? It is the same guy who's done all those things, okay? So how has he lived in good conscience towards God? It's a strange question to think about. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, one, one aspect or one possibility, I think, uh, is that maybe because of the context of his defense, he meant that his conscience was clear since his conversion. Okay, remember why he's there. Okay, he's there to give a defense of his ministry, right? His ministry all happened after his conversion. Um, Dr. Sproul said, but I don't think so. Okay, this is where it gets a little bit deeper, okay? Sproul said, I don't think so. He says, he says I don't think so. Because when Paul stood, this is Sproul, when, when Paul stood by at the stoning of Stephen, as he persecuted the way, he was convinced he was doing the right thing. And that's true. Paul was convinced he was zealous for the law. He had not been uh, convinced of the lordship of Christ. He, Christ was not the Messiah. He thought what he was doing was right before God. Okay, he was, he was zealous for the Jewish way and the Jewish heritage. He was a Pharisee. Remember that. So all those things stood by the steeping of stoning. Houses uh, going and dragging and imprisoning uh, Christians. He was convinced he was doing the right thing. Now, if you remember when Martin Luther stood, um, he stood before or stood at the Diet of Worms. Remember, he was commanded to recant, and remember, he says he could not. Okay, remember his famous answer. Uh, he is addressing the Emperor Charles and his delegation from from Rome, and remember those famous words when he he's commanded to recant, and he says, "Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant, for my conscience." is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. That's a bold statement. Okay, to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. His captive, his conscience, what Luther said, is held what? Not captive by the world, held captive by the word of God. He's convinced by sacred scripture. R.C. said that I believe that his conscience was held captive by the word, referring to... Um, uh, Martin Luther and uh, with Paul. He said, and I agree with this principle that to go against conscience is not right. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> now, there are certain people, and we've met them in our studies in Acts, right? There are certain people who believe that certain things are wrong and are sinful, even when the Bible frees them, gives them certain freedom. When it leaves them free, it does not bind them. But they believe it's wrong and sinful. But in their conscience is convicted that it's evil. Now, if they go ahead, we've talked about this already. If they go ahead and do that, their conscience is saying it's wrong. If they go ahead and do that, then for them it's sin. Okay, that gets difficult, doesn't it? That's, that's, that's why we have to live with 
grace among our brothers who we have to just show grace and um, and not try to impose uh, or bind anyone else's conscience but now we just said okay so the bible leaves you free you think it's sin so to, to do it then for you it's sin to go against your conscience now what about the other side of that what about the other side of that coin on the other hand if someone is convinced that something is good even though God's word is clear that it is sin, does that make it okay? No, it does not make it okay. Right? That it doesn't work both ways. I guess you got to say right. It doesn't. It, it's not a license to you know to sin here. Okay. And when God has by God's word is clear that something is sin, it doesn't matter what your conscience. If your conscience says it's good, it's still sin. And if you do it, it will always be sin. And you'll always be held accountable. Now, what we do know about our conscience is that our conscience can become calloused over time. And it becomes calloused by repetitive sin. Okay, our conscience can become seared. And and when we engage in repetitive sin, when we neglect God's word, our conscience can become numb. And it can almost, in like one sense, stop working, right? On on certain things, it can, and it depends on whatever. And everybody's kind of got their, you know, not everybody, but most people have their secret uh, sin that they don't want to talk about. And but it, it's very possible, and we pray that you know because of God's will and and His work in the world, we know that Christians can overcome any sin. Uh, but sometimes they get entangled, and and for them, their conscience can be seared towards that particular. Um, Sin. Uh, in in reality, our conscious. If we're all okay, all of us need to be honest with ourselves. Our consciousness have been influenced by things other than the Word of God. Okay, that's just that's just the truth. Okay, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. We all know that. We can agree with that. Uh, Doctor Sproul added here. He says we tend not to live by the mandates of Scripture. <laughs> Didn't he kind of? I kind of said this, but by the famous words of the theologian Jiminy Cricket. Right. Let your conscience be your guide. Right. Remember, everybody heard that, right? He wasn't a theologian. I just put that in there. But um, we tend to live by that. We tend not to live by the word of God, the mandates. And then we just we, we somewhat people try to separate their conscience, right? Their conscience from uh, from God. Remember, God gave human beings conscience. He gave him each human being the the will to know between right and wrong. We we, we know that. Okay, that's a God given ability. It's a part of his image on humanity. Okay, animals don't have consciences, right? People do, because of the image of God on them, and so God has left his mark. Um, but a lot of people today, instead of letting their conscience be bound by the Word of God, it's bound by who knows what, right? It's bound by them a lot of times. Um, Sproul he told a little bit of story from his childhood. He um, says that. Uh, he took violin lessons as a child. Some of you may can relate. I know I can. Uh, and the teacher, when he would go in for the weekly practice, you know, the teacher would ask him, okay, R.C., did you, well, I don't know what they called him then, but we all know him, R.C., but whatever. R.C., did you practice this week? And of course, yes, ma'am, I practice. Yeah, yes. And then she would feel his fingertips. And if any of you have played a stringed instrument, so you know uh, what happens to the fingertips, Right? A guitar or a violin or something, they become callous, don't they? Well, his didn't have any calluses on them. 
So she knew that he wasn't telling the truth. Um, and so she knew he had lied. Um, the, my brother, who was much more musically inclined than I am, had a very similar situation. Barbara Taylor, y'all remember Barbara? She lived here for a long time. She taught piano lessons. And, and of course, my mother, like everybody's mother, you know, believed her boys should learn how to play the piano, right? And I, anyway, I didn't last very long because I have, I don't have that musical ability, but Bubba did. But very soon, after probably a couple of months, maybe six or five or six months or something, I think Barbara told Mama, said, Becky, um, I got something to tell you. Said either, said there's two things going on here. Bubba's wasting my time and your money. So you just because he doesn't practice, he he does not practice. He he, she knew it. She's a teacher. She could tell. So he's he's wasting my time and your money. And so they stopped piano lesson. Now if you go to Bubba, Bubba could sit down at that piano right there and play wonderfully. Never use a stitch of music just because he's got a natural ability. But she knew he wasn't practicing, right? Um, she knew that he was wasting her time. Well, R.C.'s teacher knew that uh, he was lying, and um, so she called him on it. Now, what we know is that the calluses we refer to, we get calloused, right, in our soul, in our spirit. We get calloused from repeated uh, practice. Uh, the first time we commit a sin, um, most times you have a feelings of remorse, of guilt. You may hate yourself, even have a guilty conscience, Right? But if we continue into that sin and it becomes repetitive and it becomes habitual, then our conscience becomes less guilty. It happens over time. We become numb to it. Um, if it develops into a habit, then it's very possible that we would feel no remorse at all over something heinous as sin. Now, as a today, our we live in a culture today who has completely lost its conscience. Okay, it has no sense. No, no. There's no rudder on the ship. It is just out there going wherever it wants to go. Right, um, and the um, like the uh, like Jeremiah the prophet he described the forehead of a harlot as one who had lost the ability to blush. That's the way. Uh, Jeremiah described it. It's like a forehead of a harlot who's lost her ability to blush. There is no remorse, no sense of shame at all. And that's our culture that we live in. Um, Our culture practices sin day after day and nobody says anything about it. Now, that that is a really big problem for the church because guess what? We are the ones... Who we're supposed to be holding them accountable. The church is supposed to be the conscience of the government. I know we don't like that. Ah, politics and government don't don't mix. Guess what? It's our duty. It is our duty to speak truth into the world. It's that, that is we are. They have lost theirs. So it is the church's responsibility to be the voice of right and wrong. To be the conscience for the world. To speak up against. Sin when we see it. Um, we know that Paul believed that. Did Paul wink at sin? We just, you know, we've been studying about his missionary journeys. Uh, he's been on the field for 20 years. Did he hold anything back? No, he did not. 
And we saw what it cost him. And that's probably why we don't want to say anything about it, to be honest with you. That's probably why the church is not willing to be the conscience of the world today. Because guess what? We know what it's going to bring. It's going to bring tough times. And most of us don't want anything to do with that. The church, is, including us as individuals, is most of the times just, I'm comfortable the way I am. It's the status quo. Nobody's persecuting me. Nobody's threatening to lock me up. So I'm just not going to say anything. Well, we know that's not biblical. Okay, and we will answer for that as a church. I promise we will answer for that. We will be very careful as we follow our conscience uh, that it is to be informed and shaped not by the world, what the world says, not what we see on TV, but shaped by the Word of God. Now, as soon as Paul mentioned his conscience, as soon as he said that, the high priest commanded to be struck in the mouth, hit him right in the mouth. Now, it appears, why did the high priest do this? Uh, It it appears he was probably trying to win favor. This was a show of force. I'll show you kind of thing. Trying to win favor with the mob of his people. Uh, Because a a high priest should not command this. We're going to get to that uh, next. Uh, But Calvin had uh, a lot to say about uh, these verses. Um, He says that in this... This this ordering, this high priest ordering uh, Paul to be struck, we see what horrible and filthy disorder there was at that day in the church. Ananias, who was the chief of the council, whereas he ought to have stayed others by his gravity, he forget he forgot all modesty. He enforces them unto violence and savageness, savageness. Therefore, they had at this day no regard of discipline, but there remained among them confused barbarianism. This is supposed to be the leader of the church. This is the high priest. And what was Calvin? He's, he's forgetting all modesty. He has brought them into violence and savageness, savageness. There's no regard to discipline. This is the church. Okay? This is the church. Verse 3, it says, Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and yet you command me to be struck contrary to the law. Now, that doesn't sound too Christian, does it? (laughs) Well, we must remember it sounds a lot like something Jesus said. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs on the outside, clean and pure. They're spotless, right? They look like they got it all together, but what did he say about the inside? Inside, they were filled with dead man's bones. So these words are very similar to the words of Jesus. Now, Calvin, again, Calvin helps a little bit here. He says, uh, if any man object that Paul said this, okay, if any man has a problem with Paul, just, I mean, hey, he, he called him a whitewashed wall. I mean, it's pretty, pretty strong. He says, if any man object that Paul did not use that modesty which Christ commandeth to use, when He commandeth them uh, that after they have received a blow on the left cheek, to then turn the right cheek also. He says, We must readily answer that Christ doth not in these words require silence. He does not require silence, whereby the wickedness and the forwardness of the wicked may flourish. What's, what's, what's Calvin's point here? His point is, Yes, Paul, I mean, Jesus calls us. He says, hey, you somebody strikes you on the cheek, you turn and you give them the other one also. What is it, what, what's Calvin saying? He didn't say he had to be quiet. 
He didn't say you can't offer a defense. Um, you can speak truth to the situation. If it's wrong, then you can say it's wrong. But here, you want the other side too? I mean, you, it's still wrong what you're doing. Um, and so Paul, what Paul's re- what he's really trying to do is he's calling out the priest for his hypocrisy. Okay, he's calling out the priest uh, for his hypocrisy here. Now it says that those who heard this exchange in verse 4, it says those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Now Paul's answering is, uh, his answer here is, is, is a little puzzling. Um, and, and it's in the, we'll talk about it. Uh, so verse 5 it says, and Paul said, I do not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now the what Paul's referring to is uh, a commandment found or a requirement found in Exodus chapter 22 verse 28 and it says you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Now that requirement that has that has never been done away with. It's never been abrogated. It is we are called to respect our leaders, okay? So how so well, how do we understand what Paul says he says I didn't know it was a high priest. Because he says, and I know better, because the law says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So how are we to understand Paul's words here? How could Paul speak so harshly to him and claim he didn't know who he was? Well, one excuse that has been offered, one reason, uh, is that because of his beatings, that he was having trouble seeing exactly who it was. That was one excuse offered, one reason, right? I guess that's possible. Um, another is another reason for this um, answer was that you know Paul's been away for twenty years, and it's very possible he didn't recognize the high priest. And um, and that's that's no some some people say that according to uh, Josephus, the story of Josephus, that Ananias was not even the high priest at this time. And so, the, so there was some confusion among the people of who um, this Ananias really was. So there's, there's a lot going on here, okay? We don't know exactly 100% all of it. But there's another, and this is one, this is kind of where Paul uh, Calvin stayed here. And that just took some time for me to kind of, Calvin wrote a lot about this. Um, but the other one was that Paul was kind of speaking ironically, okay? He was speaking ironically. And what he was what he, if you could frame his words in a different way, he would, he would be saying something like this. Well, I never thought, I never would have imagined that a high priest would have uh, ordered a prisoner to be slapped without process. There's no way, if, if, there's no way that man could be the high priest. Okay? They're kind of speaking ironically here. Okay? Kind of, a, kind of throwing it back on him. If you really were the high priest, you would know better, basically, is what... Uh, what kind of what uh, Calvin said and that Paul really kind of would have meant by that. Now, Calvin said, well, Paul, and he offered another um, he offered another way of looking at what Paul said. It's Paul was saying, brethren, I acknowledge nothing in this man which belongs to the priest. Which, you see what he's saying? He said, this, by his actions, he's demonstrated he's not fit to be priest. Now, that's a 
That's a difficult thing to look at. Okay, it's, it's got, again, Calvin spent a lot of time here. I had to read it two or three times. To kind of, and I probably still don't have it 100% in my head. Right? But again, we've got to remember who Paul was. Paul is a brilliant scholar and apostle. Okay, gifted with the Holy Spirit. Okay, for ministry. Uh, and we have to, they have to find some rest in that. Okay, we have to find some peace in that. Okay, who, who Paul was. Um, when Calvin added that Paul purges himself of this crime, meaning he says, I, I'm not guilty of this, okay, of this crime. Could somebody go close that door? Oh, here you go. Um, oh, somebody just got it. <clears throat> Yeah, we got five minutes left, so we're good. We're, they're going to have to just wait. Um, so Calvin's saying, "Hey, Paul has saying I'm not guilty of this crime." Uh, so he denies that Ananias is to be counted a priest of God because of his behavior. Uh, that's basically what Calvin. That's a very short version of what Calvin's trying to say. He's not behaving like a high priest. So. To me, he's not the high priest. Okay? Again, that's a difficult um, thing to think about because when you think about authorities and rejecting um, authority, here we see Paul kind of rejecting the authority of a church leader based on his behavior. Now, Calvin again spent some time to say, okay, should we... Okay, we're seeing here in the in the context of the church, okay, Paul saying if, if this is... True. Paul's saying, you don't behave like a priest. A priest wouldn't do that. So to me, you're not the high priest. Now he says, now what should we do the same thing in a civil government setting? Very interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> Very interesting question. If, um, if we have a civil authority who's behaving like a tyrant. Because in this case, the high priest was behaving like a tyrant. He was not behaving like a high priest should behave. Okay? And we're kind of seeing where Paul is saying... We don't recognize you because you're behaving like a tyrant. So I don't recognize you as a high priest. Same question for civil in the gov- in the setting and the context of civil government. If a government civil government leader is behaving like a tyrant, should we view this the same way? Difficult question, isn't it? Now we don't have time to spend a whole lot of time here. But the short answer is Calvin said no. Calvin said no. That's the short answer. Now, there was a lot there, okay, and, and I encourage you to go read it. You can find it online, his readings. Um, but basically he's saying there's, in the civil government, there's going to be plenty of people who will hold them accountable. Okay? Because now we're talking about a different, a whole different sphere. He said, but in terms of what we see here, Paul's dealing with the church. He's not saying, hey, it's okay to do this with the civil government. He's saying, but hey, if a church leader is behaving like a tyrant, then to you, or to to Paul, he's not a church leader. He needs to be removed. Anyway, interesting thing to think about. I encourage you to go read it. We can't spend a lot of time in there right now. Again, okay, Paul is, he perceives that in this crowd, he's got two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, these two parties were at each other's throat all the time. But they had come together for this, for this one purpose, and that was to go after Paul. They were agreement, right? Uh, they, they were in agreement. They were all going after Paul. And Paul was smart here. He used this uh, ancient strategy of divide and conquer. Uh, he told them that the issue here was what? 
hey, I'm on trial because I preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead. Now, he said that's the reason I'm on trial here. Because I preach the resurrection. Now, you remember, that was not listed as one of the three charges. Right? Y'all remember the three charges, right? The three charges was he denied the Jewish heritage, he did away with the feast, he denied the law, and he profaned the temple. That was the three things he was charged with, remember? Now, none of those were true. We already talked about that. So why is he saying, I'm here because I preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, the reality is, and Paul is trying to communicate, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the foundation of everything that he taught. Okay, he was saying, the resurrection of the Christ is the foundation of my whole ministry. And he says, that's why I'm on trial. That's what he was saying. I'm on trial, not because of those charges. Those are trumped up charges. They're not real. They're made up. I'm innocent of those. I'm here because I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. The truth of Christianity, brothers and sisters, rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without it, we have nothing. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or in life after death at all, but the Pharisees did. So this was the problem. Now, instead of becoming after Paul, now they're at each other's throats. Now they're fighting uh, within. And then at that point, after they became angry, Paul's dis- uh, he's dividing them. They're mad at each other. Then one of the Pharisees said here in verse 9, he says, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So it's gotten, it, this, this is a mob. This is, Paul's been there, he's given his defense, they really don't want to hear it. Now he's turned it back on them, basically. And now they're at each other's throats. Um, the riot got uh, so out of hand uh, that the commander um, then offered to bring Paul back into the barracks. He really wanted to know what's going on, so let's bring him all, all, all back in. So again, we see, uh, we see Paul being faithful. We see Paul being faithful to the, to the message. What is his message? The gospel message? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see it all the way up to this point. He is faithful to the message even when it could cost him his life. Okay. The horn's still blowing out there, but uh, we're out of time, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our morning. Father, we thank You for our time together. Father, again, we pray that Your Word will be our teacher. Father, we pray that there was uh, anything uh, said this morning in error. Father, we pray that You just remove it. Father, provide correction, but remove it from our memory, Father. But where we've heard from You this morning, we pray that it will be applied in our lives. We pray that You'll make us different tomorrow because we were here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.